Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show presented by The Big Lead. We are coming to you on a Monday. This will probably be my last dispatch for a while. As I mentioned on Friday's episode, we are adding to the crew here. I don't expect to be doing a lot of podcasts from the delivery room, but if they let me and I get all the appropriate releases signed, uh, I don't, I'm a bit unclear what's a HIPAA violation anymore. Uh, so there's a chance that that happens, but this is probably my last one for a while. And it's going to be a real doozy because I think that I had quite a day yesterday, personally, in the wake of the Juwan Howard incident at Wisconsin. As you all know, as you've all seen, or you know, you saw once and now you've quickly moved on from, there was some tensions at the end of the Michigan-Wisconsin game. Greg Gard called a timeout because Michigan was pressing. Juwan Howard didn't really like that. He instructed his team to foul. Then in the handshake line, Howard approached guard. Guard attempt to explain what was going on, did put his hands on Howard. Howard was not having it. Things escalated quickly. There were punches thrown. Briefly, it appeared like the malice in the palace. It was pretty wild. And that's what we're going to be getting into here. Kind of the fallout and the reaction to that as the hours passed. My guest today is Stephen Douglas of The Big Lead. It's been a while since he's been on. He also added to the crew recently. I missed all of January, didn't even see him, but he's back. He's better than ever, like Mike and Mike. And we're going to dive into what I hope to be a pretty good episode, talking about the way in which information has sped up just in our time at The Big Lead, some of the problems that might present and how it's kind of changed how we're processing the information Steven, how you doing? How you feeling after that knockdown drag out fight? You know, it's taken an emotional toll on everyone, but uh, I've, I've been able to move on as if it never happened. Uh, I'm back to concentrating on the small uh, child in my house who is also progressing at, in rapid fashion. Uh, he was very little, now he's a little bigger. And I don't see the uh, growing stopping anytime soon. So 
you know, when I find time to watch sports, I, you know, I, I dive right in, I get offended and I move on. So, you know, go ahead. Tell me, tell me how you're doing today in the wake of the uh, Juwan Howard altercation. Well, I slept on it and I should preface this by saying the actual facts of went down aren't really what's important here. I think that we can all agree that Juwan Howard put himself in a situation where he's going to be facing some repercussions for his mm-hmm. actions. I don't believe that Michigan is going to fire him. I think that they'll probably suspend him the rest of the year. I'm not interested in if that's a fair punishment, if it fits the crime. What I'm more interested in is what happened once tempers cooled down because I was watching this live and I think that you were on duty and I just happened to be waiting for the golf to start. And out of the corner of my eye, I heard the announcer getting excited. And when I looked up it, I did have those flashbacks because I was also watching malice at the palace live. And anytime when you see players throwing haymakers and connecting in the situation, just failing to get under control, that's not something that you see very often at that level of basketball. And you obviously are struck by it and it feels really big and important. And the magnitude is very palpable when you're watching it because you realize this should not be happening. It's a big deal that that's happening, but through the process of our job of getting the post up, seeing the reaction to it, what I noticed, and it's not particular to Juwan Howard. It's not particular to this incident. It's not, it's probably something that I've realized before, but was really clarified for me yesterday was the speed at which the conversation gets fractured and splintered and moves in 9 million different directions. And the ease at which people want to make a point that they think is not the main point, oftentimes responding to someone who hasn't even made the point instead of kind of focusing on the actual thing that happened on national television that we all saw. And my thesis is, is that what we're doing is we're smoothing every single thing out because on social media, every post is created equal. You can't tell how passionate a person is about the topic. You can't tell whether it's a joke or like a deeply held opinion. So every single message has equal weight and equal value. So when you get something that's out of the ordinary, like this brawl at Wisconsin yesterday, it gets reduced down to the same level of an athlete fit walking in to a game. It's just a topic for someone to opine on instead of trying to like contextualize, well, this was a major event. I think that we've seen that over the last five years in politics too. Major, major events. We went through four years of 15 or 16 unprecedented things happening in a day. And by the time it got to be like the primetime broadcast, you would forget seven of them. And I really do wonder, and I do worry, I'll wrap up this monologue here briefly, but I kind of came to the conclusion yesterday in seeing the way that the conversation went. I think it's making our opinions worse. I think it's making my personal opinion worse because I'm spending so much time reading people going insane in real time and just reading bad takes and then being forced to kind of formulate and comment on them. I kind of am in the situation where 
in a more sane world, 30 years ago, this brawl would have happened. We would have read about it in the paper the next morning. We would have seen the highlights on SportsCenter and the conversation would still be somewhat tethered to, hey, Juwan Howard is probably going to be in some real trouble here, not the 9 million mitigating factors or the sides arguing past each other about an extreme position that neither one of them really put forth in the first place. So it doesn't really seem like it's a net benefit for anybody involved. And I think in, uh, for us in the content creation world, we've been forced to move so quickly too. And it's kind of like, is the dog wagging the tail or is the tail wagging the dog? Well, it's definitely one of those things where we're all just, I mean, in the content creation world, as you mentioned, we're just trying to find the hook that gets people to our site. Um, for everyone else, you know, you look at what happened, which is, you know, pretty simple. We all, it was, it's all on tape. We saw it happen. We saw the replays. We were able to zoom in and see what happened in slow motion. Then they told us what happened in their words. And, you know, at its core, Juwan Howard, the head basketball coach, should not try and hit the other basketball coach. Uh, pretty much under any circumstances. But that's boring. Everyone knows this in, deep down in their heart. So everyone is latching on trying to find a different thing. You know, it's like, well, he's, he has to be able to defend himself or he wasn't the aggressor or it wasn't a punch, it was a mush. We need to, we need to describe, talk about the definition of a mush. What about the other players that got involved, you know? And then we go back to what what set it off. We've got, you know, they're pressing. Why are they pressing? Why are they calling timeout to stop the press, you know? And everybody just looks for something that hasn't been said a million times. And then when you see that thing that hasn't been said a million times, you're like, well, that's ridiculous. That misses the point. And then you have to fight with that. You're, it's a real, you know, fighting windmill situation where they're all just popping up and you're taking swings at everybody. And, you know, it's, it's fitting for what happened at the hand, in the handshake line. And, and another thing, like I did it in the chat, I'm like, nothing, there's no such thing as a, there's no reason for a handshake line. It's stupid. But I mean, that, that completely misses the point of the actual incident and ignores, you know, Juwan Howard should not have hit the opposing coach. Right. And I think that we just breeze past that. It's almost like, I, and I saw some people too, like their reaction would be like, okay, well, Greg guard shouldn't have touched him or correct. The X, Y, Z shouldn't have happened, mm -hmm. but they're operating under the assumption that everybody knows that they know that you shouldn't hit another guy in the head. What I'm kind of positing is we've moved past that. We've kind of skipped that step. I don't think that we're all like coming to the agreement that this is wrong. This shouldn't have happened. And it's a big deal that it happened and it's a necessary step. Right. And it's something that I think that maybe like five to 10 years ago, we would have all just seeded the point that yes, we're all on the same page here. I think that our discourse has become so fractured and combative that I'm not so sure we're all on the same page here because in the hours that passed, it was really remarkable to me 
And I got to say this, I went to Michigan State. I'm not a Michigan fan. I like Juwan Howard. I think he's done a good job and will continue to do a good job if he stays there. But it's so weird to me that in a matter of hours, the situation can be retconned to the point where he is the aggrieved party. He's the victim here. Where if you look at the facts of what happened, he's like 85 to 90% responsible for this thing from its genesis and moving it to the next level, every stage of the board. And I don't know if people just don't care about that fact. I don't know if they just want to say something interesting or more concerning to me and where I think that like we and the, like the broader like opinion based content world might be to blame here is that we're looking for something to say that hasn't been said that's actually making the conversation worse. Like I, I, you know, like when I say that, I think that it's making myself worse. It's definitely making my opinions worse because I get so clouded with what's going on and distracted by shiny things that I can't come to like a cohesive, clear thought on what I feel about the situation. Because when I do, it's pretty boring. And it's not really something that's going to generate interest and generate a lot of clicks. I think I just tweeted it out and it's pretty basic. Like he hurt his team. That's a really big thing. Very few people have been saying he hurt his team. Like players are going to get suspended. They are likely going to miss the NCAA tournament. He made it harder for himself in recruiting because this is going to be used against him. And it's like, none of those conversations were actually happening. It's more like, I saw things out there yesterday where people were basically trying to absolve Howard's actions because Bobby Knight existed or John Chaney existed or a different coach got a DUI. And to me, if your argument and your standard is this is literally not the worst thing that's ever happened, that's not a very good argument. And I don't understand why you would bring that to the table. But my fear is that we've invited every opinion including that to the table, because we think that they add some value where I believe it's probably just detracting and bringing the whole thing down several pegs. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, this, this conversation would have happened, you know, in the sports page and amongst sports fans who read it and are talking or like 10 years ago in the comments section of the big lead, you know, just sports. But now there's just every single, every single person is giving their opinions on every single thing in every corner of the world 24-7. So this one, th- this one shiny thing happens. So we've got everybody coming in to jump in and have an opinion, a bad opinion in many cases. So it, it just gets crowded. And yeah, the, like the, the factual, the opinion on what actually happened, like, you know, coach other coach is bad it's boring everybody knows it so you ignore it and what Michigan's probably hoping will happen if they like Juwan Howard which they probably do you know he's one of their most famous players he's pretty good coach so far just one of these things you kind of take a step back you stay quiet you let the let the culture's Oh, uh, attention, move on to the next thing. And then you deal with it this way. They've got, you know, they can, they can hold, he doesn't, he's not going to lose his job now. 
I don't think. Um, if this was, you know, but who, who knows? Like, yeah, Bobby Knight did worse things, you know, or is something people would say, and he never lost his job. I don't, it's just too, there's just too many things to argue about on this stupid thing What that distracts from the actual thing that happened. And yeah, it's, it's exhausting. Well, I guess the concern that I have, and it's not, you know, again, like Juwan Howard is not, you know, the bad guy. I don't think, I don't really think he should lose his job. I think that he definitely put himself in a situation where it would be warranted if he did. But this is a very rare occurrence, like an extremely rare occurrence. And what I saw yesterday and a little bit today is failure to grasp the severity of what it is to differentiate it from other situations. Because I think that almost every topic that gets brought to the table within a matter of four or five back and forth, like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon ends in the same spot of personal insults where you're taking your opponents like what you perceive would be the dumbest thing your opponent could say about an element of this and attacking that or attaching that. And then if you don't see it, you know, you create a straw man that's going to say it. And I do wonder if part of this is because we have grown like the embrace debate thing, which is funny and was ironic for so long, but I really am kind of believing that we have embraced debate and that when a situation happens in the world, even if you're not connected from it, even if you're super far removed from it, you see a headline, you see half of a tweet about it, you feel responsible to have a take on it and to have it be either convincing or to stand out or to find some dissonance or fracture or wedge point in which you can put yourself in there because I'm not breaking any news, but it seems like the reward system is set up where that's how you're going to get attention. That's how you're going to differentiate yourself. The middle road of nuance and kind of like chill, let's see what's happened is not a moneymaker anymore. And I know that like, we can laugh about that, but I kind of, and I, I know I sound very old about this, but I do think that we benefited from having some like sober-minded experts who could kind of just provide big contextual thoughts, maybe ruminate on things for 12 or 24 hours, and then perform the work of a hypothesis or an opinion. But the span of 12 to 24 hours now, like that's ancient history. And it's just weird to me that like, Yesterday, we had that fight, which happened about 24 hours ago. In three days, that's going to feel like three weeks ago. And people are going to be like, oh, Juwan Howard got in trouble. What for? You know, because they just move on so quickly. So like, what is the safety rail for being held accountable for actions that are, go way outside the norm? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, we're already on to, you know, LeBron wanting to play with his son in a couple of years, you know, the NBA all-star game happened last night and just so much going on that it's uh, the Juwan Howard thing is already passed. 
it, it doesn't even matter that, you know, he, he hit another coach or that. I mean, this is why, this is why the unwritten rules exist is to stop things from like this from happening, but they're also the cause of things like this happening because the game was over. So, you know, everybody's supposed to stop trying completely basically. So nobody gets hurt and nobody's feelings get hurt. Um, but Juwan Howard kept playing, so he forced guard to keep coaching. Uh, he made a coaching decision, and then he, if if Howard had just done, gone through the handshake line and said, "I'll remember that," I mean, he'd be getting roasted for that because that is just ridiculous. Because it's all that's all his fault. But then guard grabbed him, which was wrong, and then Howard hit him, which set off a melee. So. But, but none of that matters because we're all on to the next thing. He's going to get a couple game suspension and, you know, we're, we won't really remember it. We'll just be something that we link to in a future post. Like, oh, yeah, I remember Juwan Howard hit the guy. Yeah, and maybe like through the lens of the big lead, what's important to point out is in 2011, 2012, 2013, or whatever, the post and the news and the conversation would be about the incident. It wouldn't necessarily be about the discourse that surrounds the incident, right? So it's almost kind of like what happens in the real world is not as important as what happens kind of in a respective echo chamber or like in the marketplace of ideas. And again, like I'm dipping back into the political lens here, but I mean, it's the exact same thing almost across any spectrum that you look. It's not really about what happened. It's about what reaction is going on to that. Like, for instance, let me, let me just tell you what one of the trending topics on Twitter is right now. It is a tweet from someone who doesn't watch Ted Lasso. A comedian sent out something along yep. the lines of, hey, this is what I imagine Ted Lasso fans are like. Now, that is a trending topic hasn't seen the show, totally uninformed opinion about what it is, speculative. It's getting an alert that, hey, someone you don't know has an opinion on something. And then you're forced as a prompt to be like, okay, well this, and, and, and it's, okay, it's funny, but that's what the algorithm is setting up. The algorithm is literally elevating this to the point where like, this is the biggest topic going on in the world right now. Someone sent a tweet about something they don't watch through their perception, someone you've never heard of, and now everybody's on to that thing. So it's kind of weird. It's almost like we have smoothed over. <laughs> Time is moving so fast and we've smoothed the playing field so much that we're not able to see like the reliefs and the contours of the landscape and everything just looks smooth. And every single day is the same where you're just going as rapidly through the things till it exhausts, till you dry out, moving on to the next thing. And then worse, you can't remember what happened two weeks ago because nothing stood out. Nothing really captures your like, inner memories or like you don't have any connectivity to it because you're just like, I was served this prompt on an algorithm and I threw my two cents in and it didn't really matter. I don't think it used to be that way for what we did at the big lead. If a college basketball coach did something wild like this in 2012, like let's say like Rick Pitino, that would have followed him around for years. I don't think we're going to still be writing about Juwan Howard 
through that lens, through that window in four months, let alone four years. No, what was that? Rick Pitino, like a uh, chain restaurant was, I mean, that was just like the go-to thing for Pitino forever. And, you know, Howard, it'll, it'll just be one little thing that somebody will reference. Uh, you mentioned the Ted Lasso tweet. I, I almost tweeted something similar about Euphoria because I've never seen it. I know nothing about it. But I was just like, I was thinking like of a tweet, like Euphoria is for something. I, I didn't give it much thought, thankfully, because I could have gotten canceled over it. But yeah, just, and I remember, I remember uh, tweeting something about Succession a few years ago before I watched it. I'm like, no one watched this show. And then when season two came around, everybody started tweeting about it. I'm like, yeah, it's everyone's favorite show that they never watched before. And now it's one of my favorite shows, but yeah, you just the, the availability of everyone else's bad opinion, especially opinions you don't agree with and the ability of ourselves to share every single little thought and just for, for no good reason, most of the time. And it's, it's a, it's a thin line between, uh, between a nice day on Twitter and becoming the main character. Yeah, no, it, it is. And it's funny, you know, like you, it's exactly what I mean. I mean, maybe this, this thing that's trending on Twitter right now, maybe there was just an absent thought, right? Like maybe they were it definitely was. And, and fired it off or had a few minutes before a dentist appointment and like wanted to make a little quip. And now it's the, the one of the three largest things <laughs> going on. I will be perfectly honest here and we can close the, the Howard segment on this is we're about the same age. We're kind of in the same situation uh, in life in terms of family and growing up and things like that. I don't know if my feeling that everything is just moving way, way too fast is indicative of the actual landscape out there. If it's like, you know, to get deep, it's getting a little older and like feeling mortality or whatever and feeling like you're being left behind. But whatever it is, it just feels like to me in the last year that things have accelerated to the point where it's pretty crazy and it's pretty jarring. And I can admit that like, I'm a little scared by it because I don't think that it's good at all. I just can't see any situation in where it's going to be positive, let alone slow down at all. And it's already moving kind of like replicating and doubling at, at this exponential rate that it's pretty wild to think about where we're going to be like in, in five or, or 10 years. Yeah, this this train is not stopping. Um, you know, nobody nobody wants to interact with my tweets about Bluey. Um, so I'm just and my four year old doesn't care about Jawan Howard hitting anybody. So I'm just stuck between two worlds where things happen every day and you have to move on. All right, let's lighten the mood here just a little bit. You were tasked with watching NBA All Star Weekend. I have to say, I did not catch much of it you wrote a post for us this morning talking about some lessons to take away from the game five things five highlights five talking points lists are king i will start with one right here that i totally agree with that i wrote about this morning too and it's uh steph curry can shoot some have been saying online like we talked about earlier that he cannot he made 16 three-pointers he scored 50 points he had a couple no lookers where he turned around and dazzled the crowd like Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Are you not entertained? 
to me, this guy, I don't know if he's the best basketball player of all time, but I would say he is the most innately skilled at the process of putting the ball in the basket from any distance, from any angle. I wrote about him as baseball's Babe Ruth kind of, I think that three-pointers have replaced dunks as the home run per se, 30 years after Cedric Sabalos did the no-look dunk. It's kind of been, he's been a transformative player uh, in terms of like what the next generation has imagination for when they're on the court. When Steph does these things and he's in the middle of this incredible season in which the Warriors have a chance to compete for an NBA title where he's playing at an incredibly high level and he's doing it at a late age, he is as fun to watch as anybody, in my opinion, because there is that level of realism. Yes, he's athletic, but he's not gifted with height that people uh, could never attain. They understand what it's like to be a guard in a game. What do you take away from Curry's performance? I know it was an all-star game, but what he did really stands out as special because it doesn't matter if the defense would have been there on him. He still would have put on quite a show. Yeah, there's there's really nothing like him in sports recently. Uh, maybe Shohei Otani, uh, what he did in baseball last year, uh, comes close. But like when Steph is on one, when he's just making those shots, it's one of the most, it's so exciting. It's so fun to watch. Uh, like I, I'm, I'm a full-fledged LeBron stan, uh, but so I, but just Stephen Curry watching him play and when things are going right for him, it's, it's a, it's a joy. And just the way that he enjoys it, and even opponents are just they it's just one of those things where you can just shake your head because he's so good and he's so much better at it than I mean pretty much anyone. Clay Thompson comes close. Uh he's he's got two other guys that uh he grew up with, his father and his brother, who uh also come kind of close. I think Seth is like leading the league in three point percentage. I mean, that's crazy that the guy who's leading the league in three-point percentage might be the third best shooter in his house when he goes home for Thanksgiving. Um, but it's it's just so much fun to watch him. And uh, it, it definitely has re- probably replaced the home run. Uh, it's watching the guys shoot threes and the three-point contest should have long replaced the slam dunk contest is like the marquee event. Because like when Carl Anthony Towns won it the other night, uh, the three-point contest doing it as like a seven-footer. I mean, it, it was exciting to see because it's just so beautiful when somebody's shooting the ball well. Like even watching Luke Kennard and it's like, ah, it's Luke Kennard, but oh, those are pretty. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of shooting basketballs. I guess, yeah. I guess that sums it up. Secondly, you wrote about Giannis and Embiid, and we do have a guest if you hear a cooing baby. Oh, my gosh. A young basketball fan right there. We'll be shooting 35-footers. Well, they have a three-on-one on the break in no time now. Giannis versus Embiid, they went at each other pretty hard in crunch time, and I think that you wrote that it's just a precursor to a playoff series that we all want to see happen. 
Uh, yes, Giannis and Embiid are just monsters. Uh, obviously, Giannis showed us last year when he had like a 50-point triple-double in the uh, in Game 7. But Embiid just looked – when it got down to the Elam ending and the All-Star game last night, Embiid kind of just got more aggressive and started, you know, posting up and like just taking the ball and going down the middle of the lane drawing fouls and just showing that it's he's he's a handful and Jared Allen actually did a pretty decent job got a block at one point but just Giannis and Embiid they've been around for a few years now uh Giannis is always healthy Embiid has been pretty healthy this year in their primes this is something that you know we this is one of those things that like you you hear about from like the 80s and the 90s like these epic battles between these great players at the same position. And it's something that we haven't seen yet. And it's something I want to see, uh, you know, the Harden Park's cool, you know, the Bucks going for another title is cool, but just to see these two in an actual battle of like two, and, and it's a, kind of an old fashioned thing, even though it's definitely not because like Embiid went five for eight, I think, last night in the All-Star game, just like shooting walk-up threes. And Giannis is like a point guard that is in, I don't even know, he doesn't even have a body comp, I don't think, in the NBA history. Uh, but yeah, it's something that I want to see. Fan, I think every fan would want to see this. It's a great matchup of two great players on two really good teams. And we grew up in the era where every team that was competing deep in the playoffs had a traditional center and they would match up. And though the game has changed a tremendous amount in what they're doing, you know, no, there was no such thing as Joel Embiid at, at seven foot one before he came around like that. There's no such thing as Giannis being able to do what he does with the basketball at that size. I think that the one thing that basketball still has going for it and what makes the center match up so exciting compared to the other four points on the floor is it's always going to be the most physical and the fact that they're drawing each other outside of the paint to the three-point line at the position where conditioning is most important that's always been the way to win that battle is to win the conditioning battle to wear them down whether that be through pounding now coaches and players alike have the opportunity to do that through tempo through forcing you to come out through forcing you to run all over the place in addition to attacking the glass and, and trying to prevent shots at the rim. I do think it's going to be really cool because I don't imagine, I think whoever eventually comes out of the East at this point will be the team with the triumphant center. And if you want to throw Kevin Durant, I know he's not a center in there, but he is six foot 11. So whichever six foot 11 guy plays the best basketball in the East, I think that will be the team representing the conference in the finals your third point young stars are good what a takeaway <laughs> uh the all-star game is always exciting for up-tempo play fancy passes great dunks you identified Lamelo ball and ja morant as two who really stood out morant probably had the best dunk of the weekend and it came on like a 60 foot alley-oop where in, in which he did a 360 which is incredible someone should just try that in the dunk contest uh, if you could get a good pass, that probably would have won it, oddly enough. And Ball, too, 
seeing him ascend to this level and play the game with that type of vision to me, Steven, that's my favorite type of basketball player is the one who makes great passes, plays, plays with a flair. I was watching old Jason Williams, uh, white chocolate mixtape the other day for like eight minutes. And I was just blown away at the way that he played the game. And though LaMelo is not quite the same player, he's more gifted physically. He does have the willingness to do that at any moment. And then Morant, obviously we're talking about an ascendant player, uh, maybe the toughest ball dominant old school guard in a new body that we've seen in a long time. It was great to see them show out. And the thing to take away, obviously, it's not like we were concerning about, concerned about the NBA running out of talent, but the game is certainly in great hands because it's going to be an endless stable of individual stars with unbelievable skill sets that have already acclimated themselves to be in closing time of the all-star game. Even if it doesn't matter, it does matter in terms of like alpha pecking order. Yeah, um, obviously Chris Paul out, that opened up a spot. LaMelo, I, I certainly doubted him from seeing his high school tape, uh, which was rarely available more than any other high school kid ever. Uh, he looked so ridiculous at times, jacking up those long, long threes. And just to see him come right into the NBA and be so entertaining. And it's like, like Lonzo, the passing is just something that you can't teach it. Those guys just can do that. And it's beautiful to watch. Uh, ja is just such a special athlete. And like those, those two uh, highlight dunks on the alley-oops, you know, they, they both came on perfect passes from Trey Young who he's never played with. And Trey is just also another guy who's just so gifted with the basketball and such a great passer, even though he's thought of as like a scorer, you know, it's, it's like that LeBron James thing that we, we did that stupid debate thing about last year. It's like last week. It's like, you know, it's, they said LeBron James couldn't score, but he leads the, he's the highest scoring uh, basketball player ever. Because, you know, it's really not the best thing about his game. His passing is. And all these guys who are just great passers and unselfish, it's, it's going to – it keeps the All-Star games good, having good point guards. So it, it's a very good position to be in for a fan. That leads us right into the fourth point in that the slam dunk contest was terrible. It likely cannot be saved at this point. You said the three-point contest with Carl Anthony Towns draining triple after triple without his feet leaving the ground ever. I mean, that's just incredible strength. But I would probably take it a step further and say that the Rising Stars game, especially with the change of format, is probably the marquee event out of the three. I think that they either need to drastically retool the slam dunk contest to like everybody gets one dunk or two dunks and just have it be like a half hour tops or I not, they're not going to eliminate it altogether, but it really, I did not see anybody on my timeline really particularly excited about its, its continued existence. I think that players just want to see the next generation of young stars more than anything at this point, because they're going to get the shooting largely in the game as well from some of the best in the game anyway. Yeah. But just the, the dunk contest serves really no purpose at this point. Um, like, ooh, did we really need to see 
Obi Toppin, you know, compete for a second straight year. Uh, he's not playing much for the Knicks. Okay. But he can dunk. We knew that. So we can see his cool in-game dunks. I mean, you mentioned retooling the dunk contest, which is something it seems like they do every couple of years. It's a problem that's been around for decades now. Um, just hoping to recapture the magic of uh, Vince Carter. And we did briefly that one year with uh, Zach Levine and uh, Aaron Gordon. But that's that's six years ago. There have been so many no-names in the competition since then. Yeah, the Rising Stars Challenge, uh, they seem to have figured out a format that works with that. And like my idea that I just came up with off the top of my head was just roll the balls out and let all those guys have an impromptu dunk contest and let them decide and maybe let the fans text votes or decide by cheers. And I mean, why would that not be why would that not be just as good as, you know, making everybody sit there and listen to Kenny Smith and Reggie Miller go, oh, well, you know, that, that didn't count as a dunk attempt because the ball wasn't going down. Uh, it's, it's the same commentary every year as everyone just suffers through it and we watch them beg for scores from the legends who, you know, don't really want to be there. I don't remember who had that. The biggest problem is the game is predicated in its best attribute is the pace of play in the NBA. And then you hit the slam dunk contest and it's like slower than a baseball game. Yeah. It's, it's all about just these exciting moments that happen through the pace of play happen through the natural progression of the game. You don't pick where you take off. That's just where you are. And like Gerald Green's greatest dunk was that like that middle of the lane, uh, windmill alley-oop in the middle of a Nets game and it's like I mean how is how is that not better than his than blowing out a candle I mean nobody cares about this stuff and I it's it's sad that I remember him blowing out a candle on a dunk attempt but I um I don't remember which player it was this year but had brought out the the NFT on the phone it's like Oh, this is so stupid. And then he all he did was take the phone off and give it to somebody. The only thing I wanted to happen then was someone else to own that NFT and just just have it dawn on them what exactly an NFT is. And well, how how did he get my NFT on television? But yeah, dunk contest, uh boring let all the players shoot in the three-point contest. There should be a big man bracket, a little man bracket, whatever. And just more more shooting. I, I just find it more exciting than watching somebody throw the ball off the backboard for five straight minutes. Agreed. Final point on the NBA All-Star Weekend is the Elam ending, which was employed. I don't know exactly how many years they've used it for the All-Star game. We all know what that is. It's certainly makes the game flow better. Uh, I don't think it's something that they should ever employ in actual meaningful playoff games. Uh, Maybe the regular season, there's a place for that. But you kind of broached the topic of there's been all this chatter about in-season tournaments, which I think fans would really like. It would be more high-stakes basketball it would give more fan bases an opportunity to actually win something and compete for something. 
I think the Elam ending makes a lot of sense there because it's a different skill set. The one thing I do fear about the Elam ending is that coaches could quickly change their strategy to do the quick foul stuff before the Elam ending ever started uh, once they kind of figured out those machinations. But yeah, it's way better to watch games in rhythm, in pace, than it is to watch a free throw shooting with a million timeouts down the stretch. Yeah, I think both, uh, I think it's the third year and at least two of the years, I don't remember what happened last year, but at least two of the years that it came down to like, you know, the last last shot and a close game. And that's, that's really all you can ask. And they've done a, they've done a good job of at least making the end of the quarters uh, interesting by having each one separate and for, for charity money. And that's, that's the, the big, the NBA's big thing is like making everything matter more, you know, because it's, it's a long season. So there's a lot of killing time and, you know, load management and stuff like that. So maybe if you replace like a quarter of the season with a play with a tournament of some sort for a different prize for whatever, you could put the Elam ending in there and then see how that goes. And it's, it's just a matter of trying something new, which is, it's tough. Uh, you know, I'm sure you and I both do things in our lives that could be done better. And, you know, we just, you just don't want to because it's something that you've always done that way. So it's, it's hard to be like, well, don't make this an 82 game season with a, uh, with four rounds of the playoffs um, and just try something different. Because, you know, it's scary. Uh, we're all afraid of change. So, you know, let's not do something stupid like have a third kid. Great place to end this. I was going to say. My I'm kidding. Away, I'm kidding. I, I, I was going to say my takeaway was that, you know, they, this, uh, this weekend for the NBA really showcased a thing that's incredibly healthy. Uh, incredible positivity from people consuming it in real time it's different than football it's way more intense in terms of engagement than baseball obviously hockey it really i think it's just like it, it shows the capacity uh the good hands that it, that it's in is going to keep growing and, and regenerate uh, across the generations it was pretty successful it's hard to screw it up you know when you have the biggest individual stars playing an attractive brand of ball uh, and also getting down to business when it matters to give the fans what they want, that little edge of competitiveness. So thanks for monitoring it for us. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for listening to my rant about uh, the Juwan Howard uh, singularity situation, which we are hurtling toward. Uh, I did want to get that off my chest in, in some form or fashion and, and you know, didn't want to uh, create a Charlie Day like uh, corkboard situation with Pepe Silvia. So I feel better. I hope you feel better. I, maybe the audience is going to feel more depressed because they haven't realized what's happening, but uh, I, I got it off my chest. So it's Kyle Costa show. Thanks for listening.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.